Hey world, it's nice to meet you. I'm Cassidy Jackson, and you are listening to Cassie's Crafting Conundrum. More Gen Z authors seem to be coming out of the woodwork in the past few years, myself included. And I want us to be able to have a safe space to express ourselves, since the online world is a scary place, and we might feel extremely alone. In each episode, I am highlighting an amazing Gen Z author who has agreed to share part of their story online. Sit back, relax, and please, remember, you are never alone as an author of any age. Hey everyone, I'm back. Welcome to episode three of season two of Cassie's Crafting Conundrum. So, kind of fun fact about me before we start this episode, I'm absolutely a giant history nerd. I know a lot of people don't enjoy history, but I I love it. It's not something I would like could see myself doing in the future, which is why I'm kind of leaning more towards the STEM area. But history is kind of like, you know how people have like pet peeves. It's like a pet passion of mine, if that's not a thing already. Like, I love it. And this guest is actually a historian and an author. So I'm just going to let them introduce themselves and see where this goes. Uh, hi, I'm Caitlin and I live in Switzerland. Uh, I am a historian, so I just finished my master's in history. And I'm also a fantasy writer and I'm 25 years old. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's kind of why I mentioned history at the beginning of this. And as I was talking to Caitlin, I realized I'm like, hold on a minute. Fantasy and history kind of have, I guess, the same vibes to me, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. What do you think? I mean, they kind of do because when you work when you try to write a fantasy, whether it's a standalone or a duology or even a series, you have, you're creating, if it's a high fantasy, which is my case, you, you're creating a world or a universe or I don't know. So whenever you, cro- uh, you, when you create something from scratch, you have to build that history. And so when you work with fantasy, even if it's a an urban fantasy that, and you have, I don't know, uh, demigod in um, our current world you have to rewrite the history to insert these gods and demigods in our world so yeah history and fantasies are merged together they have to because without history you don't have any fantasy that's a good point I don't think a lot of people realize how much fantasy writers actually have to draw from history and historical facts in real life. Because as you were saying, like you literally have to create a world basically from scratch. And it's really hard to do that. So you're working on how many fantasy projects are you working on right now? So I have my duology that I'm currently working on and I have been working on it since COVID. So March, 2020. Uh, that's my main project. I'm, I rewrote the first book this summer and I started writing book two. Uh, I'm in the middle of rewriting book two. And I also have a, another weave that it's, that's an adult fantasy this time uh, with the Greek gods and stuff. So those two projects. But I have a lot loads of ideas still, so... <laughs> That's the problem, I think, yeah. with all of us authors <laughs> and also other creative people and other ideas are just swimming in your head all the time. Yeah. 
Yeah. I have definitely had to kind of quiet my brain <laughs> since yeah. I've started writing, I guess, somewhat professionally. I know in mm-hmm. the previous few episodes, I, I've kind of mulled over the fact that writing isn't exactly a hobby for me anymore mm-hmm. because I do it so often. I've literally yeah. wrote almost every single day this yeah. summer. Same. And it's like, it's not a hobby for me anymore. <laughs> at, at some point, it becomes a job. Even for me, it's not like I'm not in the querying stages, st- stages yet, but it's not a hobby anymore. It's more of a job that I do when I have, like, in the summer or when I'm not working with university. It's, yeah, it's a job. Yeah. Speaking. And so quieting, quieting your mind so you can focus on one whip at a time is actually quite hard it is especially because I know we've been following each other for quite a long time on Twitter so we kind of crisscross we never really have conversations because we're in different time zones I mean we do have some of them in the in the discord server though that's true that is true and if you guys are curious about what discord server we are talking about I will definitely link that in kind of the little I I keep thinking this is on YouTube and I'm like you know the link in the description whatever I guess Spotify has a description thing maybe I don't know know. like she's uh she's talking about Camp Fairwood which is a discord where on it and it's a bunch of writers from all over the world and it's amazing it's (laughs) absolutely if you're looking for just a quiet little Discord server. I know it's like we're shouting it out into the void and like it might not be a quiet little <laughs> Discord server anymore, but it is definitely one of the more manageable ones yeah, yes, yes. that I have been a part of. And you can come in and out and just vibe with people. And it's yeah. really quite comfortable there. Yeah, yeah. I've made some great friends there. It. I mean, we kind of met through that Discord. I, I think we did. Yeah. I think we did. And then I met a lot of great people through there. And then I realized kind of how interesting it is to have international writing friends from mm-hmm. all over the world. Because if you guys haven't already heard from my voice, I am <laughs> American. <laughs> and Yay! Right, exactly. Well, American and European Swiss, so. Yes. And in case you haven't realized this about America or the United States, as it is known, we're kind of not taught in schools that well about other cultures. (laughs) I wouldn't say anything about that. Yeah, (laughs) that's why you're letting the American talk. I'm going to stay silent about that. Which is why you're letting the American talk because yeah, you know, there we go. Yes. <laughs> so interesting to me how writing is basically a universal kind of language, much like music is, or I guess history is art. Any form of art. Is it? I'm sorry, what? Is history kind of a universal language? I mean, everyone studies it at some point in their lives. But I think the degree 
uh, with which you study differs sometimes depending on the country or even the subjects that you study differ from the country or continent that you're in. But in itself, the subject history, yes, it has to. <laughs> we all live in the same world. We all have to study and know our at least the basic history of the world. That's very true. And then going back, what kind of, I guess, books did you read for like your high fantasy? Because the only like kind of high fantasy I can think of off the top of my head is maybe like The Hobbit or Lord of the Rings. Mm -hmm. Um, So <laughs> I didn't read any books because everything is made up. <laughs> I made up everything. <laughs> so your brain was working very hard March 2020. I when I when I <laughs> when I'm working on a book, I think of it as a puzzle I have to solve. And so it took me quite a lot of time to figure out my history. And even now while I'm rewriting, so I think I'm on I'm on my like fifth, sixth, seventh draft. I don't know. I still find new pieces of history that I need to add or work around so that I can add them in the story. But yeah, it's a puzzle. And I just, I love, I love creating history. The hardest was, uh, I don't want to say too much because I don't, I'm not really working into it right now, but the my next work, which is about the gods, I had to, I mean, I have a lot of knowledge about the Greek gods and ancient Greece because I studied, I mean, I'm a mythology, mythology nerd, but I also studied history and Latin in high school. So I know quite a lot about, well, ancient Greece. Remember what, remember a lot of things. So I scrolled through many, many, many websites. Um, and since my work is mostly based on, I, I take Greece, basically ancient Greece, ancient Greece, and I transform it. So I just need some basics and then I make up everything. Okay. So I don't read a lot, but I know that at some point I will have to read more books for the God's Weep. But yeah. Yeah, I was wondering just because as you were talking about kind of you're writing high fantasy mostly, not kind of soft fantasy. And I'm wondering mm -hmm. for people who don't know the difference, could you explain the difference between the two of them? I mean, I don't think I know it myself. Okay. Honestly, I just know. I mean, it's it's hard because uh, in in French we don't really define those things. Uh, I know that urban fantasy is like Percy Jackson, so you have fantasy elements in our world, in our world, sorry, but then you have high fantasy, which is something completely new a new world a new way of living new um, customs it's not set in this world so that's why i say my whip the first the duology i'm working on is high fantasy but in itself it's definitely not at the same level of the hobbit of uh, or um lord of the rings so maybe i'd say it's soft fantasy in that sense Okay, if we're basing it off of that, that's probably the most, I guess, popular slash famous slash everybody knows, even if they haven't read the books, 
or watch the movies like people reference it all the time and so I'm just trying to think like could I write a fantasy now because you're just (laughs) describing like you wrote most of this during COVID so we were all kind Mm -hmm. of holed up in our little so like hobbit holes so to speak now I have Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit on the brain (laughs) just because I mentioned that a little bit earlier and so did that kind of occupy you and kind of distract you from other things going on in your life that might have not been the greatest at the time I mean honestly I was kind of thriving during COVID and the lockdown I was uh, when I was during that lockdown and I was writing or working on my world building I was doing really fine because I had this and I had books I had loads of books to read so yeah but writing did occupy most of my time when I wasn't studying for university which also like took most of my time so yeah definitely yeah I mean to um focus on something else because I was fine but the work wasn't so I had to focus on something else (laughs) yeah I just like it's so weird to me that a lot of people started writing like seriously over COVID because there wasn't oh, a no, lot. I, I've been do. writing my whole life. <laughs> well, no, I I'm just, just had, saying like yeah. the current projects that people are yeah. working on, they mostly started during COVID. And then I'm trying to think yeah. what I was doing. Lockdown. I was we not. Had, we had, we had, <laughs> we had so much free time on our hands. And I've always had a very imaginative brain and mind. And I was reading a lot of fantasies during COVID. So, I mean, if you do the math, your brain will think of something and, oh, I can write that because I'm a writer. Yeah. And you try it and it works out and you're like, oh, that's working out actually. Yeah. Now for me, it's kind of weird because I have a very imaginative brain but at the same time I'm noticing that in my whips much like you have history kind of underlying everything just because that is what you studied in university I have science and technology kind of in my stories yes we all we all hide and add parts of ourselves you know works so obviously you will have some science stuff I could not do science in my books for shit I can't do science science and math not exactly your strong suit no definitely not history yes big vibes yes (laughs) science no (laughs) yeah no what's funny for me is I have more of I guess, a history slash English slash creative writing brain. Like that just comes so easy to me. And then science and math, which is literally what I'm getting my university degree in. I have to work extra hard in it. But like I said, kind of at the beginning of this episode, like I can't see myself, you know, doing that full time. Just Mm -hmm. because I love science way too much to actually give it up. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And then there's you. It's like, bye. <laughs> yeah, see ya. 
I'm a historian. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I don't meet a lot of historians. Like just in general, because I, how do you feel about like, how, how strong is like the history degree? Do you feel like right now? Uh, it's not one of the strong, strongest degrees. Um, because if you want a really strong, strong degree, if you're not doing science and you're doing more humanities and stuff, you'll go study, in my case, in Switzerland, where I we speak French. So I would go study and have a master's in French, French literature, or I don't know, math, German. Uh, so history is not your strongest degree, but I think it's really needed to have young historians that can see and understand the world with new eyes because the world changes obviously and history changes with the world so there's that but also that was a very selfish decision that I I had the choice between doing a history degree or in history and French degree and then go teach at a high school and I was like no away I'm doing history and then I'm going to work at a, at a museum so a very selfish decision but like you said I could not see myself working anywhere else that's the thing sometimes you have to be selfish yeah yeah and I feel like as a writer you kind of have to balance you know like actual life versus mm-hmm. you know writing life and those are two very separate things yeah. I feel like I mean for me I'm writing I wrote a dystopian novel and I'm writing, you know, a rom-com right now. And those, oh yeah. Yeah, nice. I feel like I'm writing a rom-com too. Because I haven't really talked about it in the Discord server just because it's been so new. I don't actually have like an aesthetic yet. And I'm like- I mean, it's fine. I I just have vibes. I I can like (laughs) write out- That that works as long as it works. (laughs) Yeah. And both have elements of real life in them, mm-hmm. but it's just not my reality at all. Yeah. And I guess with like fantasy, you mentioned you're literally creating a world. Yeah, so I, my world is not perfect by any means, but I took some things from our current world and I did the entire contrary in my fantasy world. Like I mentioned in our discussion that my world was queer normative or very accepting of any queer identities. And it is like, when I built this world, I knew that some of my, I knew that my, I have six main characters and I knew that all of them were queer. And I knew from the beginning that I did not want to work in this way with homophobia or queerphobia or anything like that. The problems would come from something else. So even when my characters are dealing with the issue of coming out to their families, it's not rooted in homophobia. It's rooted in, I have duties that do not work with who I am. Got it, okay. But my history in the, the history of my world is not based on it's quite 
it's a bit like the perfect world for some people that I wanted to live in. I'm like, I'm going to do that because here yeah, we can do that. Yeah. So in a way, is the world that you made kind of based off of a utopia that you would yeah. kind of imagine? I mean, everyone is accepted. And there's no homophobia, no transphobia, nor no queerphobia of the sort. So yeah, I guess. I mean, I don't really want to talk about that, but yeah, it's not the case here. So it's yeah, no, I go. get that because now that I'm actually talking with you and not having like text conversations, mm-hmm. I'm realizing like fantasy in any aspect, whether it's like urban fantasy or history, you mentioned you kind of have your, I guess, undergraduate degree, because I know you're working on your master's right now. You said- I have like my master's, so I'm, up, I'm um, I have my master's. Last year I was post-grad and now I'm going to work on a second master's. <laughs> oh, okay, got it, got it, got it. I'm not sure how university works in Switzerland because I'm just trying to think of like the timeline of most people graduate university in the United States at like 22, 23, and then they work on so a that would for two be, years. That would be your bachelor's degree, yes. which is undergraduate. Yes. Um, I did in four years instead yeah. of three. Okay. And then I did my master's degree, which is postgrad. And then mm-hmm. after that, something else. <laughs> but you're just gonna keep going with this. I mean, I, I, the thing is, I have to because with oh. my current degree, I can't work. Oh, got you. I say, I say. Because it's really theoretical. So I have, I need to have more of a practical degree, which is the one that I'm going to do next year. Got it. So this was kind of your degree of like your supplemental degree degree to the degree that you're going to get a yes. job in. Yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> I need a background in history to work in museums. <laughs> Very true. Uh, yeah. What museum would you work in? Um. Uh, so we have, I was going to start speaking in French, yes. So we have, um, where I live, we have the Museum of the Red Cross because we have the um, chair of the Red Cross in my city. Got so it. I wouldn't mind working there because I, um, the archives, <clears throat> sorry, the archives and sources that I use for my uh, dissertation came from the Red Cross. Committee. Oh, okay. Um, and then I'm not really picky, I guess. I had an internship um, last semester at a museum and I really loved it there. So there, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not really picky, I guess, as long as the museum is interesting. So <laughs> any interesting museum basically within driving distance of where you live yeah. right now. Yeah. And actually, Speaking of French, I yeah. actually took French. So if you had oh. just started speaking in French, I might have been able to understand you. Maybe we can try it one day. <laughs> Potentially, yeah. No, I actually started learning French. And in my rom-com whip, I actually have a character who is 
biracially half Korean and half French. So like that's okay, kind well. of my idea of like mm -hmm. keeping my French alive enough that I can yeah. like understand it and mm -hmm. vibe with it. I don't know if I can have a conversation with somebody in if French. You need if you need any help with French for your book, just come to me. I mean, <laughs> I might actually hit you up on that because go ahead. I'm like French grammar as somebody who learned French as a second language is yes. a little bit nuts. Not it's nasty. Word. It's nasty. <laughs> yes. Speaking of grammar, like do you, in your world, do you have a made up language? Like in any no, of your worlds? I don't. Um, in my world uh, the um, that I'm working on, they speak English because I did not think of creating a language. And even if I thought of it, I don't think I could make it because <laughs> creating a language is hard. Um, and for the gods weep, um, the gods do speak a bit, just a bit of ancient Greek and Latin, but mostly to insult other characters. <laughs> Because the characters can't understand ancient Greek. Or yes, Latin. exactly. Yeah. Always insult in a language the insult e does not understand it. But also, that's some of the bad. insults that I found are hilarious. <laughs> You'll have to send me some of them because <laughs> I'm now I'm curious. Oh, I'm actually curious. It's like okay, I don't have them in mind. Yeah. But... What historical insults can you come up with based, like, just off the top of your head? No, I'm curious. Oh, I don't think I can actually come up with one. Um, I don't think I can. Like, I'm just putting you on the spot. I used here. to have history jokes, though. Oh. <laughs> See, there you go. Like, from, like, what's weird for me is... I'm one of the nicest people that I know and my insults are not insults. They're just, I, I, I just can't do that. And then to have you be like, oh, by the way, my great gods and my story just insult <laughs> the characters in ancient Greek and Latin just because they can. So I'm imagining like a little bit of like Percy Jackson sass in the Greek gods just because of that yeah i think at least in two of my my so the greek gods weep is has two main characters and one of them i won't say who is really sassy like he's done with he's just done uh -huh. he hates everyone except he, certain people and he sees certain people, people and he just wants to end them i mean he cannot stand them so <laughs> He deals with by insulting them, which is fair. I get that. If you want somebody, you know, to, you know, not be there anymore, but you can't do anything about it, insulting is a very good way to do it. Yes. Although if you insult people a little bit too much, that's a little bit like maybe not great. That's all I'm gonna say on the topic. So far, he has insulted the 
target one time, not to their face. Okay. So that's fine. But I wrote like two chapters, so <laughs> I don't know yet. <laughs> See, you're running on vibes with You Are a Great God Whip, just like for me with my rom-com whip. I'm, it's just basically like three different elements and vibes. That's it. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to work on the history of my world and the world building, but it's hard. <laughs> I can't do it. So right now the whip is paused, set aside, and I'll come back to it later. But I don't like actually working on vibes. I need an outline and to have everything figured out before I start writing. So, and that the history of the God's whip is actually really important because everything is based on that history right so i have to really figure it out and uh, you have to do a little yeah, bit of research before, I, before you actually before start the world process yeah. yeah yeah and then there's I mean, me even just figure out the history of my world as a, and then <laughs> there's me it's like just i have vibes <laughs> i don't have a mood board i don't have anything figured out i mean so for some people it works it doesn't work for me, but I know that for some people it works. Yeah. No, in high school, I've been looking through some of my old stuff just because it's just come up in Google Drive. And I'm like, I was outlining a lot. Like, for any idea that I had, I would outline first and then write, but I would never finish a draft. And then now that I'm in university and college, mm -hmm. And I have like a basic outline in my head of where things need to go, but I don't exactly write it down because I feel like if I write it down, then it's like something weird happens. Mm -hmm. and I won't finish it. And what I did with my YA dystopia is I had a very basic idea, again, vibes. And then... I had, but the thing, the difference with that whip versus rom-com whip, that one, it was just vibes, no basic plot whatsoever. So I mentioned yeah. in earlier episodes of this podcast, I literally did not have plot until chapter 16. And I have about Whoa. 38 chapters in that. So it was basically like half the book. It's just yeah. no plot. See, so that's the first draft. You're the complete opposite of me. Because when I was in high school and I was trying to write, I did not have an outline. I did not have things figured out. And I could never finish a draft. And now that I'm working with outlines and everything figured out, I've, wrote, I've written two books in three years. And I'm yeah. rewriting them. So... <laughs> That's actually funny that we're complete opposites. Like in high school, you <laughs> didn't outline and didn't finish drafts, and I outlined and did not finish drafts. And yet, when we switched them, <laughs> yeah. you wrote two books with many, many drafts. Yeah. And I have one finished draft that is basically half plot, half not. <laughs> I mean, just vibes are nice sometimes. Yeah. No, they... Don't get me wrong. When I start writing, uh, working on a book, I start with what with vibes. 
um, the the God the God's whip. All I knew about it when I wanted to start working on it was that I want something with gods and Greek mythology, and death. That's it. <laughs> like, just those kind of vibes. And then I started working around it, trying to see what I could do with those vibes, and it just came up. I start with vibes. I think everyone does. Yeah. And then it depends on what you do with the vibes. Like I just yes. immediately start writing. I open up a Google Doc. Okay. I start plotting, building, and then I write. See, that's the difference though, I think, between like your fantasy genre and my two genres. Yeah. I don't think you can yeah, because fantasy you have you you need to create something first before you write. Yeah. Even if it's just in your mind. Yeah, because now that I'm thinking, you can't really go off of just vibes alone to even start a draft for fantasy, because I feel like you're going to confuse yourself if you do it that way. Yeah, I think, I mean, I guess some people do and can, uh, but I can't. <laughs> I know that. Um, I know that before I start writing, I need to have at least the history and the world building uh, thought of and figured out. Because otherwise, I mean, in my opinion, you can't fully understand your characters and why they act like this if you don't know what happened 100 years before that made the world like this. That is you fair. See, you see? So yeah. you can't understand everything about your plot and your history and your story if you don't know how your world works yeah that's kind of what I realized with my why dystopia like I had yeah, vibes that, yeah. and I had a basic outline but I think I was so confused because I just didn't know how to write a dystopia like I from 13 to 19 when I first started like actually writing a draft seriously I had just written realistic fiction oh oof. oh yeah that's a different genre altogether and I would always write my realistic fiction in first person and rom-com whip is actually in first person just because mm -hmm. like I don't know if I could write realistic fiction not in first person because I had been doing it in first person for mm, so long, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And I just figured out, I was basically like, basic history for my dystopia is like a war happened. Stuff mm -hmm. happened, all of that. And then- But now, dystopia is set in our world, right? Yeah, it's normally set Mostly, in our so, world, but just like futuristic stuff yes. happens. You need an inciting element, but except that, I mean, I don't know, I don't write fantasy, uh, dystopia, and I don't read a lot of dystopia, but from the few that I've read, the work works mostly, the world works mostly the same, except a few things that triggered the dystopian world. Yeah. What I'm realizing is fantasy and also now as I'm talking about my dystopian novel I actually took a lot from history <laughs> just for my yeah. like history of the world because mm. much like fantasy I feel like 
I did one of the worst things in my opinion that a dystopia writer could do. I just started writing. I didn't have anything (laughs) to figure it out. And so because I had nothing figured out, I was literally inputting like, I have aliens at one point, just come in (laughs) and then like for one sentence and then just leave. I'm like, looking back, like this doesn't make sense, but like, I hadn't read any dystopia for such a long time, but I kind of knew the vibes of dystopia enough to be like, okay, there's this thing that happens and it's a big deal and it changes the world. In my case, it just happened to be a civil war in, you know, I'm actually- When is it not? (laughs) that, that That's fair, that's fair. No, but like a lot of dystopias start with a war somewhere in the yeah because but wars think... change everything. So. Yeah, no, but I think that is why so many dystopias and dystopian authors go to war because, like you said, it's just easy. It's I mean, kind of- my my current fantasy whip the it doesn't start with a war, but the history is heavily uh based on a war that happened a million years ago okay god's okay. whip god's whip is also based it's more like a god a war between the gods and the humans okay so even in fantasy you have a lot of wars that s- trigger a lot of events yeah no now i'm realizing like i definitely heavily pulled from history once I actually started figuring out <laughs> what was going on in my dystopia, yeah. I was like, okay, there's a war going on. Something happened. Like that, that's, that's basically super interesting though. How it goes. And in a way for me, I'm like, I literally had three things in mind when I started writing my dystopian. I was like, it's got to be dystopian. There's a war going on and there's a secret society. Much mm-hmm. like you. It, with, really st- you know, it usually starts, government. yeah, it usually starts with a few elements that you want to work around. They want yeah. this and this and this and this, and then you see what you can make with it. I definitely made something I was proud of, like in the later half. Yeah, um, my draft just like I said again. I literally just had those three elements and just started writing. That's why. That's what editing and all that stuff is for. Yeah, no, I'm not even editing the first draft. <laughs> it's just I don't know what I was doing in the first sixteen chapters. So I'm like, you know, complete rewrite. Just complete rewrite. Yeah. everything. Rewriting, editing, proofreading, all of that. That is almost as hard as the writing itself mm-hmm. yeah because you pick on so many tiny elements that you want that that you want or need to change or edit and it just never ends yeah <laughs> it never ends you mentioned you're on what your sixth draft or something or fifth uh, uh honestly i don't know because i rewrote them from scratch okay got it so i had maybe four five 
drafts and then I rewrote them from scratch. Okay. Because my writing have improved so much, has improved so much that I found it necessary. So in total, if you count the rewrites, I don't know, eight drafts maybe? <laughs> Okay, Seven. and I, I don't know, but see, that's the thing for people who don't know, like for people who are just readers or just like looking at this podcast, being like, "Oh, this sounds interesting." Writers rewrite consistently. We do mostly that, <laughs> like the first draft that I know Ira and I don't know Caitlin if you also kind of relate to this. I basically rewrite it like there are some elements of my why dystopia first draft that I'm going to keep like basically the overall arching plot but everything else is just I literally mm -hmm. just fixed the pacing with the first chapter of the rewrite I was like okay this pacing is so much better so I don't know if you fix like large elements like I don't that remember my first chapter. draft yeah I don't remember my first draft <laughs> okay first of all it was in French ah uh yeah i translated it sometime during draft three maybe i don't know um but i know that it did not end <laughs> it ends now so there were definitely changes going on yeah i made first of all it was not supposed to be a duology <laughs> and then i wrote the book and i was like that sounds like a cool ending and I finished writing and I was like, shit, <laughs> it needs a sequel, <laughs> duology. Um, but because as I was writing, like you said, I had an idea in mind, but then, and I had, oh, but then when I was writing, I changed my mind and I went another route. And so a lot of things changed and my current draft and my first first draft are two different books completely different books i mean that's the thing like as i'm getting more and more into writing and i've basically been writing seriously now for about two years even though i started writing back when i was 13 and i'm 20 now like for me i'm realizing so much of my writing has improved from when i started mm -hmm. writing the first draft to when i finished it and that was just like about a year and two months and I'm like how much improvement have like I've made so much improvement I was literally shocked because yeah no yeah um when I I think I have three maybe chapters of God's Weep so far and when I reread them the first time and I compared them to my which is now my current week but used to be one of my old drafts yeah in a few months the difference was huge in my writing style it was more mature more um slow uh flowy i guess you could say um yeah even just a few months can change everything in your writing style yeah no because you get yeah, used yeah. to you get used to writing in a professional way yeah and how similar is like what is writing in history like what is that because I know you do write in history you have to log a lot of things you have to maybe categorize things but like how does that work I'm curious now 
I write essays and dissertations. So I usually choose a subject and I research about it and I ask a question about it and then I write about it. So okay. the process, I guess, is similar, similar in some ways. Uh, but then the result is completely different. But I do a lot of research uh, for my, even if it's just research in my mind about what's going on, it's a lot of research still uh, for, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I've done, I've been researching subjects for five-ish plus years now in university. So, yeah. So it's essentially just essays. See, That's something I do constantly. Yeah. Basically, in history, you're writing essays. Yeah. Now I'm well, wondering, yeah. like, what? If I were writing, like, if I had, you know, a humanities degree, like French or English or history, like what kind of essays I would write? Because for my STEM degree, it's pretty much essays slash lab reports mm -hmm. that I have to write. Yeah. And lab reports are so different than what I'm writing for my dystopia, my realistic fiction. Like, I both, I have to research for both, but it's just so vastly different in the way that I approach each of them. Do you approach writing fantasy and like writing essays the same way? No, 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 I don't. Uh, you can't approach, approach these the same way because one, okay, um, history, when you're writing a history essay, you ask a specific question about a, a specific subject or theme or whatever. Um, for example, you want to study how dreams and sex dreams worked in the medieval era in monks. So you study that, for example. In writing, um, I don't ask a question. I, just, I have vibes and I have ideas, whether it's a character, a world, a plot, uh, a trope. And I try to work around it, but I don't approach... Well, I mean, essays are work that I don't particularly like, and writing I love. So there's that. <laughs> yeah. I don't think anybody really likes writing essays. Sometimes it can be fun. I have... I, I had... I don't want to say fun because I did not, but writing my dissertation was interesting. Okay. Writing my books is fun. <laughs> yeah. I feel like now that I'm writing a little bit more like creatively, I'm realizing that my STEM lab reports slash like essays that are sort of lab reports, <laughs> but in essay form, they're so they're interesting topics and I love yeah. like what I'm writing about, but it's definitely not the same way that I would approach writing a novel. Yeah. What it can do though, is the way you write novels can impact the way you write essays, for example, because you're used to writing a lot. We write pretty much every day. So when you write essays and stuff, you write differently. I write essays differently now that I 
used five, six years ago because I've been writing pretty much every day for months. Yeah. Or years, depending on the... Yeah. No, now I'm wondering, like, I have a very heavy essay writing slash reading term coming up. And now I'm wondering, am I actually... Good luck with that. (laughs) Thank you. I'm going to need it. I'm going to need it. That's the thing, like, I am, have a STEM degree, but it's environmental policy, which means, mm-hmm. like, again, a lot of reading, a lot of writing, like, figuring out what policy yeah. is, just in a STEM context. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm I'm honestly not looking forward to that. <laughs> yeah. again, That's like, why I make the most of summer break for writing. Yeah, no, literally, I've just, I've been telling people, I'm like, as soon as I set foot on that campus, I'm going from writing mode to school mode, because that's what I have to do. I have to prepare myself for writing. When do you start? Yeah. Um, I start the 6th of September. Oh, yeah, okay. You still have a lot of time. I still have a lot of time, but I'm also, I go to school out of state. So you have to, yeah. I have, I'm literally using this last week that I have to pack. Yeah. I start on the 18th of September. Okay. So, so I have a month. Has, yeah. A month of writing before hell. Yes. <laughs> there we go. No, but the thing is, because we're university I love students. I, I love studying. That's what I hate the most. <laughs> no, literally. But because. I, I would not be in university if I did not like studying. Yeah. Like, because we're university students, though, like, we chose this path. That's yeah. the thing. I mean, it's hard. It's yeah. hell sometimes, but I love it. I love researching a subject. Even if the subject is not that interesting, I end up loving it in some way. Don't ask me even how I do that. <laughs> um, it's interesting. I love it. But I also hate it because I can't write. No, see, that's the thing. That's and I want thing. to write. <laughs> like, what worries me going into my third year of university right now is the fact that I'm going to get like writing ideas, and I'm gonna be, I'm gonna have to tell myself, no, you can't write this in like yeah. your dystopia or your rom com because you literally have to study to study, to read, to highlight in your books, to write an essay, to do all of that. And I'm going to be like, why did I do this to myself? Why did I, like, I'm glad that I spent the summer writing, but it's also going to be very hard to kind of switch gears, which is why I'm glad I have this month, or no month, this week of kind of transitioning slowly back into school mode mm-hmm. yeah when I was uh last semester until beginning slash mid of June I think I was writing my thesis so I could not write at all and I was desperately begging to write to have a bit of time so that I could write the instant I defended my thesis and came home we celebrated and then right I wrote I wrote for like two months straight. And then I wrote an, uh, an essay I had to write for university. 
in a week and then I get back to I got back to writing <laughs> See, I feel I feel like that's the difference between undergraduate university education slash high school education or secondary education depending on where you are in the world and you know postgraduate like post-university graduate education like when my parents were doing like their master's and their PhD, well, one has a master's and one has a, an undergrad master's and PhD, I think. Don't quote me on that. But it was just so interesting to hear them talk about their undergraduate experience. And then like, I go back and forth on whether or not I want a master's degree. Because mm -hmm. master's degrees are kind of expensive also, but they're not as expensive as undergraduate degrees, like in the United States. Uh, all I know is that American people pay a lot to go to university. We do not pay even, <laughs> we pay, compared to you, our, my university year is cheap as fuck. <laughs> Yeah, no, the United States, like, post-secondary yeah. education system is flawed. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. yeah, so that I could do a master's degree very easily because, yeah, that's... Yeah. And so many, I think pretty much everyone has one or try, tries to have one because it's basically the... When you go to university here, yeah, I'm going to go to have my bachelor's degree and then, yeah, I do a master's degree, obviously, and then you work. We yeah. work like that here. Yeah. I'm actually thinking of applying abroad for a master's yes. degree, like once I save up some yeah. money, because again, you're like almost everybody here goes to undergraduate. And then it's immediately like, oh, what am I going to get my master's degree in? Like, that's a kind of an automatic thought. Whereas here, I have to think about, mm -hmm. am I going to have enough money to do a master's right after? Mm -hmm. Or do I have to work for a few years? Or option yeah. three is work and have your work pay for your master's yeah. degree. Yeah. So, but that's um, the basics if I could say master's degree because the master's I'm going to start in September was more expensive because it's called a master's of advanced studies ah. so, uh, a master's after your first master okay which is why um I think some go like very are very 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 expensive very the yeah yeah um but still, it should not be that expensive. Right. But yeah, I know a lot of people on Twitter and stuff like that. They take gap years to work and then they go back to university to have a master's degree and stuff. Yeah, it's very common in the United States to work, save up just enough so that you won't go broke or hungry during your master's <laughs> and go yeah. back. But again, that's why I'm thinking like going abroad. Do you know do you know where you would want to go? I definitely am thinking like Western Europe 
or, you know, just because I know environmental policy is very kind of, I don't know if it's a hot topic in Western Europe, but a lot of like environmental stuff happens in mm -hmm. Western Europe. And I would like to do my master's in like more advanced environmental yeah. policy. So that's kind of, if I was going abroad, that's kind of where I would look. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> but then again, it's like the pros and cons of like cost versus yeah. like education. And then you're like, oh, yeah, let's wrap up. Let's, you know, wrap up undergraduate so I can get to the master's, which is actually what Look I do. to university people. They say it's fun. They say, <laughs> meanwhile. No, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> meanwhile, it's like, that's what I find interesting about like the United States versus literally almost the rest of the world. Education post-secondary is kind of a hot commodity, which it should not be. First of all, it should not be. But second of all, it takes a certain person with certain, like with a certain way of life and certain. Yeah areas of you know everything to be able to even get to undergraduate university much less you know get a master's or a phd mm -hmm. which is definitely and then, i mean here yeah. it's a bit different because pretty much if you have the grades you can go in university here okay got it it's different <laughs> for, for you yeah it is and like I said, hot commodity in yes. the United States versus like, yeah, what am I going to study? I don't know. I'll figure it out. It's fine. Yeah. Like, so, and it's funny because um, I don't exactly know how you work, how the university system works in America, well, mm -hmm. the United States. But from the movies and shows you watch, they say, yeah, I'm university and I still haven't chosen what I want to study. Like, I... I don't know what my major is, what my main minor is. And here you start university with your minor and major already chosen. Okay. You can change mm -hmm. if you don't like it, which which is what I did. But you usually go at university knowing what you want to do. So yeah. I knew that I wanted to go in humanities with these subjects. And I did. And then I changed one for history and I got in a certain faculty and a certain building. If you, if I had gone to science, I would have been on the other side of town. Mm -hmm. Stuff like that. So we have everything figured out before. <laughs> you do not. <laughs> like I, well, you don't very... seem to have. Yeah. At least. No, I'm a very rare specimen in terms <laughs> of the United States and university slash college because I, when I was 12, I decided what I wanted to be. Damn. <laughs> well, I changed. I changed. I well. was marine science up until I was 18 and in university for a marine biology degree. And then I was like, nope. Again, like with this, I I'm had out. to take chemistry and physics. And I said, no, no, thank you. Yeah which is why I switched to environmental policy because I only had to take calculus, statistics, and like general biology. Okay, yeah. 
that was it. And then the rest was like basically geography. Like I'm taking a geography of the world in terms of like science and STEM mm -hmm. kind of stuff this semester. But I was just like math and science. Yes, they're important, but also like my brain cannot handle math and science at a university level. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they're so hard. Everything is hard at university though, so no, that that's the thing. Like, I don't know if like if I had a history degree, how like different it would be again, like you with like if you got a science degree, like how different would your life be? It's so interesting to think like what books yeah. would I be writing if I had a history degree? Yeah. I mean, definitely not something that heavily based on history. Yeah. So I'm okay, think of Ali Hazelwood. Yeah. If I had gone into STEM, I might have done something like that. Okay. Because I think I would have tried to insert my degree into it. Yeah. I mean Or maybe I still would have gone into fantasy and <laughs> written the same things. I don't know. Right. Who knows? Like what would happen? <laughs> yeah. But I think for me, if I had gone in like some humanities aspect of it I definitely probably would not be so heavily focused on science like in my rom-com whip literally the girl has a degree in marine science and the male main character yeah. he has a degree in biology with an ecology and like sustainability focus I think that makes sense though because uh I have another whip ID and the main character is a historian they, so I think we just, I, yeah, I think we just work with what we know and insert them in our books. Yeah, but it's just so interesting to think of, like, as I, we've been talking, I'm like, how much of, like, my degree that I'm working on that I input into my novels? Like, there's a lot of science, like, actual science in my rom-com whip. And mm -hmm. there's a lot of like secondary science in my dystopia mm -hmm. because yeah. the secret society is literally like, basically one of my friends pointed this out to me. Oh, that's so interesting though. And I looked at that like text or whatever and I said you know what I'm gonna take that and run with it you mention it and it's making me excited for no reason but i find it so interesting uh slight spoiler alert maybe for my whip <laughs> um book two of my whip is actually trying my characters trying to set the history straight okay because something happens mm -hmm. and we learn that the so it's a it's monarchies i'm working with monarchies so we learned that someone did something and mm -hmm. hit it 
and so my characters are trying to you know tell everyone and set their history straight because of what these first these people did mm-hmm. a million years ago so like something happened and the world like just they they lived on and yeah. my, character, my characters are like no that's wrong we need to do that okay so it's kind so of rewriting they took, yeah, they, history a little bit just telling the truth that history hide uh hid sorry you're good you're good <laughs> like that's interesting because that's a lot of um have you read Babel by Erif Kwong? That is no. on my to-be-read list. She does that a lot in this book. Uh, people just fighting for history and, um, well, for the truth and everything. Mm-hmm. This book is so complicated. It's hard to talk about it. But, no, I get that. Uh, my characters, yeah, they just take history and they try to show the world what really happened. That's essentially what historians do, right? They kind of take the yeah. truth and put yeah, it out there. Yeah, I mean, today, not mm-hmm. much is hidden. Oh, well, a lot <laughs> wrong. <laughs> Everything is hidden. But what we know of our world and of our history is not really hidden. So we just take that and we work around it, trying to see how we can, like, um, yeah just so how did monks do with sex dreams knowing that hey they're supposed to be celibates you know yeah and you do that and you're like huh and you work around that and you study it and you you have an answer and you're like oh so that's history that's what historians do (laughs) basically like because i know in stem we basically it's basically the same thing like we have a an overarching question like say Mm -hmm. what happens if the carbon cycle just decided to stop being the carbon cycle yeah and then you would kind of rework that and be like a lot of bad things would happen if the carbon cycle yeah working yeah so my world is really so hey what if we did that and they did and my, my characters are like what you did was wrong and we need to change that got it so it's not really rewriting history it's more of like a hey this is why this history is wrong yeah it's exposing history basically okay got it which is i guess essentially what in real life historians do they kind of yeah expose what's not really hidden because like you said (laughs) not a lot is hidden in today's day and age whereas you know probably 50 years ago a lot more was hidden just around we have well i mean a lot of stuff are hidden because so many archives are still closed to our eyes Hmm. which fair (laughs) obviously i get that but we we have the um, basics of it so take for example okay the international committee of the red cross Mm-hmm. Opened in two thousand in the two thousands, okay. the archives up to nineteen sixty five, or something like that. So up until the two thousands, we did not have access to these archives, and in ten years, they're going to open new archives that we could that we would be able to see. 
So we will have new approaches to specific themes and events in history. Mm -hmm. And so I, I forgot that. what I wanted to say, but yes. No, you're good, you're good. It's essentially like, now that I'm looking back and like realizing there was a war that happened. Like I told you briefly yeah. kind of about the premise of that whole war. And it was just like, I have a lot of things to say in draft two that I want to say, but I know it's very important to take breaks during drafts, which I had to learn the hard way. Yeah. I started draft two immediately after draft one mm -hmm. and I got a little bit burnt out. Yeah. <laughs> I think the worst part of drafting and writing in general is that, at least in fantasies, you're creating a whole world that has its own history. And in your book, readers will read maybe 5% of what you've created. Yeah. I don't know how it works with these token books, but I guess you imagine a lot of things and readers will read maybe 5 or 10% of what you've built. Yeah, no, I'm definitely thinking I need to open up a new document and just start writing. Like, when I start drafting my dystopia again, like, the complete rewrite, I'm like, okay, I have these elements. How am I going to potentially? Because there are how it works. Is of that it's also kind of past present in my dystopia yeah and that's kind of where the double mm -hmm. flex comes in where one timeline is the present and my main I might actually send you the first draft so you could like <laughs> if you want to read my disaster first draft you are more I than mean why to. not <laughs> so yeah I might actually send this to you right after it's done just because like here I know I can't say much because this is being recorded, but like here, here's everything. <laughs> I mean, I if, you need an, if you need an alpha reader, I can be your alpha reader. That might actually be very nice to kind of be like, ignore the first 16 chapters, but then like everything else, like if you have questions, mm -hmm. blah, 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 whatever. Yeah. I, okay. <laughs> um, Kia Nai in the server is my alpha reader. So hmm. she reads everything I send her and it's so bad when I <laughs> What I sent her is so bad because it's like the second draft. Yeah. But then we work around it and we make it better. And then she reads my, she also, she's also a beta reader. So uh, she, uh, 
Yeah, no, I definitely, what my definition of alpha reader is, is literally as I'm writing the draft. Yeah. Like that's essentially for those who don't know, like that's essentially what an alpha reader is, is essentially like as an author is writing a draft, this is the person who, or people, depending on if you have multiple, are like, okay, this doesn't quite make sense. What if you did something like this? And that's kind of how the draft evolves and changes, which is why most people don't publish a first draft and keep drafting. Yeah. See, I do that, but I send Kiana my entire draft because oh. usually because usually when I have issues, I text her and we work around that together. Like, hey, I was thinking of doing that, but I don't think it works. And she'll be like, yeah, it does actually work. Or what? No, you're right. It does not work. You have maybe to change that. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm going to. Yeah, I definitely have an alpha reader for rom-com whip, who is like, I want to see more of this throughout mm -hmm. the draft. And that way, from like my brain, it's just easier for me to have alpha readers as I'm drafting. Mm -hmm. Just because, again, I don't plot and I don't outline. Yeah. So I so guess I plot, I plot and I outline and I write fast. So by the time my alpha reader will have read that chapter, I would have written, I don't know, like I will have written three other chapters. So that's. My rhythm is too quick for Kiana to read everything and just yeah. So it's I mean, you have you have to just find how it works for yeah. yourself mm -hmm. and then do that. Yeah, because every writer, every author has different like what their definition of an alpha reader is or yes. a beta reader is, and it's not going to be the same for every author find out what you, if you want to write seriously and you're like, oh, I want alpha readers. So you can decide, do I want an alpha reader right after the draft is finished? And before I start, you know, the second draft, like Caitlin, or you can be like me where it's like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Somebody <laughs> please help me out. Cause yeah. help please. Yeah. Uh, honestly, my alpha reader does pretty much everything and I do that for her too. So we're beta readers, alpha readers, critic partners, writing buddies. So like, See, I need to find people like that, but because I'm almost never online consistently, mm -hmm. like it's very hard for me to find people to do yeah. that. Because I mean, to be fair, I met Kiana in 2021. Okay. So way before the server, and we were friends way before we gave each other our whips. Mm -hmm. See, that's the thing. You also have to be comfortable enough with yeah. the alpha or beta reader or CP, which is a critique partner. Mm -hmm. Like you definitely have to be comfortable enough sharing it. Yeah. The and you also need to trust them because unfortunately it happens that people steal other people's ideas okay. so you need to trust this person too that they would they won't steal your ideas right which is kind of why if you've listened to the podcast for a long time anytime there is a spoiler of a book I'm like insert music here 
instead yeah. of like the actual audio because like I want to protect my guests but I also want to protect like my own writing as well so trying to balance like how much of my story to tell and my guests mm-hmm. as well that's a very delicate balance kind of like writing itself because I'm writing you know your story just in interview form if that makes sense I was uh I was saying uh it's very hard not to spoil your story because you know your story oh yeah you you don't know my story right and you just when you're talking about it you just you go on and then you're like wait no 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 they don't know that they're not supposed to know that right so when I when I try describing um, my geology is called the Crimson Tales, and my the God's Whip is called the Lost Gods. When I so when I was trying to talk about them, I was trying not to spoil anything because you don't know about that. You don't know about the stories or the plot or the characters. You don't know anything, right. and it's actually quite hard to talk about your story without saying anything. Right, which is why we also have the overarching theme of like history is kind of like fantasy in the way that you and also what I'm learning now is dystopia because we've both taken from history just in different ways. Yes, yeah, but people don't know what you took, so you still can't. I can't say what I took from ancient Greece. Right. And change for the last gods because that would be a spoiler. Yeah. Like it is so hard. And I know that people who are not writers also listen to this podcast. And you have readers, non readers, basically any non writer. It is so hard for me to kind of leave bits and pieces of my works in progress my whips in each episode because I'm like how much can I say mm-hmm. <laughs> how much of this is like not a spoiler or like can I say this and know that it's not going in the like second draft that I'm going to send out to mm-hmm. beta readers to kind of critique and be like hold up because my second draft what I'm realizing is that's the plot because I've worked through my disaster first draft <laughs> And I've worked through like, okay, here's this, here's that, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But it's just so hard for me to be like, I know I've taken from history. Like, I know there's a war. But like... I'm in one episode only and it's hard for me. So I can't even imagine how hard it was before you. (laughs) Like, I feel like for me, it's a lot more of like, because I have an overarching topic like you know fantasy and history and it's basically tailored to the specific author guest I'm like okay Okay. now I can focus on this whereas for you (laughs) it's like what am I supposed to talk about like I talk about this thing (laughs) what can I say that's not a spoiler (laughs) exactly because none of the guests that I have had on this podcast so far are published yeah like I'm not even published I'm not even querying I'm just drafting and so it's like what can I say how can I say it and all of that it's very strange kind of balancing all of that out (laughs) 
And then are you thinking of like going the traditional publishing route? Yeah, that's my, uh, that's what I've been saying for three years now. I always said that I wanted to try the traditional way. And if unfortunately it does not work, I would try um, self-publishing. But I still want you know, to try it because I don't know, I want to, I want to know what querying is. I want yeah. to have an agent and yeah. No, because you see on Twitter all the time, like I'm querying, I'm doing this, that, and the other. And like, as somebody who is a drafting author, I'm like, like you, I'm like, I want to experience. Yeah, kind of even like, if it's hell, I still want to experience it. Yeah. I'm just, you know, my plan is to query my dystopian novel, potentially mm -hmm. 2025, 2026, because I think that's okay, when yes. it's going to be ready, yeah. which if people don't know in a writer's timeline, it's I started drafting short. this in 2022. So like three, four years later, that's very fast. Yeah. To get I think... I think I could maybe start querying the first book of the Crimson Tales maybe next year slash 2025. It depends on how fast the beta readers and read right. it and how fast I edit it after the comments. Yeah. See, I feel like for me, the editing part is the easiest because mm -hmm. like that's just making it better than it already yeah. was. Yeah. Like, and since I've already rewritten the book, it's already way better than the last versions they've read. Right. And for me, like, it's so hard for me to be like, okay, again, going back to like, what can I take from history? Like, what am I allowed to take from history? That's not going to be based on like, you know, because you're taking from ancient history and I'm taking more from more like contemporary history, kind of like mm -hmm. 21st century, maybe, or like late 20th century. Like, what can I take that's not, you know, controversial at this point? I like, think I you can take everything. I think you can take everything. No, you can take everything. It's your story you can take everything you just have to work around it to maybe not make it controversial yeah see that's that's the thing like i know i can take everything but in order to make it like for audiences and like very honest <laughs> stuff i have to make sure the characters are just you know as unbiased as possible and for me, that's a little bit hard being like a science major and having the planet basically destroyed environmentally. Like I have mm -hmm. to work around, you know, potentially this species is gone and like forests are like gone, which means oxygen levels are like mm -hmm. weird. So I have to kind of figure that out all in draft too. But again, making, because it is contemporary history, I have yeah. to make sure it's not controversial. Mm. Yeah, that's the hardest part when you're writing a book. 
Yeah. Because it seems you like... have to be careful of everything you write. Yeah. Exactly. Because, like you said earlier, like nothing is really hidden, whether it's like in archives or history or like in real life. A lot of things are out in the open. Mm-hmm. Just because they're out in the open. And so I have to kind of decide okay, I'm taking this from history and this from history. Like for you, I feel like it's a little bit easier because the history is already written mm-hmm. in a way, you know, because you're taking from ancient Greece and ancient Rome. Yeah, well, that's for the gods weep. <laughs> and even then I'm taking really the basics and changing everything. Yeah. So. But the thing yeah. is you still have basics that you can kind of have, like you can pick and choose from what yeah of that history whereas like for me the history is still kind of being written so I have to be a little bit more yeah you're you're setting your story in our world and you're changing one thing that will change everything after that so you have you still have like the I don't know six thousand years of history of this earth that's what I feel like contemporary writers versus maybe more or like people who take contemporary ideas versus you know people who are taking you know for example like with your fantasy basing it off of something extraordinarily basic in history like for contemporary for people who take contemporary ideas like me it's a lot harder to write because again like I have to figure out like what can I have these characters say? Like, what can I have them do that's just kind of universal and not based on bias? And you also have to work, like, what these elements in my history that changed the world, it will have changed small details in in our current history. And you have to work to find what those details are because they're going to be important for your story. Yeah. Which so is like maybe more- one person died sooner than they should have died and you have to look at the consequences of this right. person's death. Yeah. And you- so what I'm realizing is that my dystopian, it is essentially dystopian because it's set in the year, you know, 3000 something or other. So like it's very far in the past, mm-hmm. but it's also yeah. not very far in the past. Then it is a future that I am writing that could very well happen if yeah. the events that I'm <laughs> writing about could well, Let's happen. hope it does not. Which is actually extraordinarily scary because, again, like, yeah, the world that I'm writing is is not it's not the greatest. <laughs> well, let's not let's hope it doesn't happen. We yeah, already know <laughs> it doesn't. Which is, again, why I'm going kind of into environmental policy to stop yeah. the world I'm creating right now. From, <laughs> like your yeah. world is kind of like, I'm taking things that I want changed in the real world and just making them real like, in my world. Exactly, yeah. your world. Whereas for me, I'm kind of taking like stuff and being like, if I dismantled this, what would happen? So you take our world and you make things worse? Yes. And I make them better. That's yeah. basically. 
the difference between fantasy and dystopia. No, that's literally the main difference. I think you make things me. worse. I mean, to be fair, things are really bad in my books too. <laughs> Sorry <laughs> to my characters, they hate me, but <laughs> no, the world is slightly better. Right. But, and that's another thing that kind of non-writers don't get. They're, the characters are suffering for a reason. Mm-hmm. Like There might not be a reason, but there is always some kind of history behind the characters suffering. And now that I'm realizing, like the more, if more for my dystopia than my rom-com, like the more that I can make the main character kind of subtly suffer, the more I'm going to be like, that is kind of what I want readers to kind of look at and be like, wait, but this was revealed in a previous chapter. How can my main character not figure this out? Like, it's so obvious. Yeah. See, you mentioned pain and suffering and the way it's rooted in history in of the world, of our world. And some of my characters go through a lot of pain. I won't lie. They suffer a lot. But the thing is, it's because of the history of their world that they're suffering. Like, yeah. The history happened and it shapes the characters and their families. And my main characters suffer because history shaped them and their families and their world. Yeah. So suffering is always tied with history and yeah. fiction. And also in real maybe life. Maybe not well. maybe not re- maybe not contemporary romance, but most, you know, like Yeah. No, I get exactly what you're saying. And in a way, as we're talking about this, I'm realizing how, I wonder any authors who are listening to this, like how much of the world that you are making, whether it be like set in the real world like mine or a fantasy world or dystopia world, like how much did you take from real life? That's an interesting question, actually. Uh, how much did I take from the real yeah i mean subconsciously i must have taken a lot but consciously i don't really know how much i took no i I mean we we all take something from our world and implement it in fiction Hmm. but we i think we all do it mostly subconsciously no i get that because in a way I'm realizing through talking with so many different authors from so many different genres, like we've all taken from our real lives and our experiences in our own history. And like, that's (laughs) how we shape characters. But then like for you and me in terms of, you know, the plot line or the basic overall plot line is like, I'm taking from contemporary history in my dystopia and you are taking from like actual written history that has been set in stone for potentially millennia, but definitely centuries. (laughs) I don't, I can't tell you what I took from our history because I don't, know what I took yeah 
I know that my characters took some specific traits from me. Mm -hmm. That was done totally subconsciously. I did not notice it until I was well into draft number, yeah. I don't know. And I was writing my protagonist and I went, that's, she's actually, she's actually a lot like me. <laughs> no, but I for history, that. Yeah, but for history, I mean, for The Last Gods, I mean, I took, the thing is, I took the premise of Ancient Greece and I still changed everything. I even changed the ge geography of Ancient Greece. So it's, so it's not the same. So I just, like you said, I, I take bits and pieces here and there and I make something up. Yeah, I think that's what I did for my dystopia. I took very, very basic ideas, like literally just maybe like, you know, the war that I mentioned earlier. And that stuff is happening kind of in real life right now, which is kind of scary, but it's fine. We're living through it. We might not be vibing or thriving even, but you know, we're alive and that has to count for something. It's fine. Uh, it's fine, she said, sweat running down her temple. No, literally, literally. If I... It's fine. Okay. We can... Yeah, no, literally. There are like light bulbs going off like inside my head right now as I'm talking with. So I don't know if you have listened to the podcast, like previous episodes, but I end every episode with kind of a question for the guest author that I also answer so my question for you is if you could rewrite anything like in ancient Greek or Roman history like what would you rewrite um I think okay so that's very uh based on my own opinions and I, life obviously, but I I would rewrite I would stop Christianity from trying to erase um, Hellenistic um, polytheism. Hmm. I would yeah. try to keep Greek and Roman mythology and religion alive more than they are now. Because they are alive now-ish, mostly in Greece, and Ro uh, in Greece and Italy. But outside of these countries, they're barely alive. And I think that I would try to keep them more alive. I won't erase them. Yeah. I think for me, it's a little bit harder. But again, I think I would also change the fact that, like, I don't know much about, you know, Greek and Roman mythology. I would definitely want to keep that more alive. Because mythologies are so interesting to me. Yeah, this, yeah uh, I just, I love Greek mythology so much. It's super interesting. Well, Roman mythology too, but most I'm mostly into Greek mythology. And it's just so interesting. And to see it disappear because of wars and re other religions and stuff is actually quite sad. Yeah. Because it was so rich in myths and history. And because what I know of Greek mythology comes from of all people, Rick Riordan and Percy Jackson. <laughs> yeah, oh, King. Literally. Like, what I know is, like, I definitely <laughs> would want to have, like, 
the actual stories. I think these stories came alive in the 21st century, like Greek and Roman mythology, like came back because mm -hmm. of what Rick Riordan might have done. Like, that's just my personal opinion. But I do know a lot of what I do know has come from his books and Percy Jackson and just the characters in there. Um, so yeah, you mentioned Rick Riordan and he definitely has his hands in bringing back Greek mythology, Greek, Greek retellings, but yeah, it's not only him because many authors are working, working with Greek mythology because it's had a renaissance of sorts. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. And that's kind of what I appreciate about authors like Rick Riordan. I know there are other authors, but that's just the one that comes to the forefront because that was kind of he's, my introduction yeah, to Greek mythology yeah. in a way. And for me, that was kind of my gateway into actually being interested in history because mm -hmm. I went and was like, okay, what is Greek mythology like, blah, blah, blah. And yeah. that's what I- It's a gateway for a lot of people. Yeah. That's what I love about history. So that is essentially the episode. Hopefully it wasn't <laughs> too confusing in terms of, you know, going back and forth between history and writing and kind of all of that. Hopefully that all made sense. But Caitlin, thank Hopefully. you for taking time out of your day to come and talk with me. Well, thank you for, thank you for having me here. It was fun. Yes, of course. <laughs> All right, guys, I will see you sometime soon. Actually, I'll probably see you guys next week because this is like a weekly seasonal thing. Anyway, it's fine. Bye, <laughs> everyone. Bye. <laughs>